Rob are out traveling this week, so I get the privilege of leading in the music and the worship and the preaching. You get a lot of me up here today, so bear with me in all of that. Pray you will. We are continuing the book of Romans today, Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14, so you can turn in your Bibles there. And we've been learning really since chapter, the end of chapter 11, chapter 12, how to offer our lives as a living sacrifice to the Lord through love and humility and service. You know, I was looking back on all of this, even back to chapter 11, you see at the end of chapter 11, how God, God has saved everyone, the Jews, the Gentiles, the nations. His, his plan of salvation has always been for everyone, that all would be saved in him. He's not just a God of the Jews or just a God of the Gentiles. He's the God of all. He's one God who is God of all. And, and he has shown great mercy to the Jews. He has shown great mercy to the Gentiles, all of us who are not Jews. He has shown all of us amazing and tremendous mercy and grace. And so that's why Paul writes in chapter 12 as he begins it, I, I beg you, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you have been shown this great, tremendous mercy by God. I appeal to you, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. This is your spiritual worship. We're not sacrificing animals anymore. There's no more blood sacrifices of animals anymore. Jesus bled on the cross. He has sacrificed himself. And now we, as the church, we offer our bodies, our lives as living sacrifices now. It's spiritual worship that we're doing. We're not conforming ourselves to this world. We're transforming ourselves by renewing our minds he continues there in chapter 12 so that we'll know what the will of god is and then, then he reminds us hey be humble about this don't think you're so great so what he's doing is he's setting this he's setting things up for this distinction between the, the jews and the gentiles in the church where the gentiles think that they're strong we learned about this last week they think that they're strong in faith the jews are a bit weaker in their faith and so the strong are getting prideful about their strength of their faith and they're maybe lording it over the jews in the church and all their restrictions there's these these dif differences in the church and difficulties and differences and so paul reminds us there in chapter 12 he's teaching us hey don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think that's chapter 12 verse 3 each one of us is given a measure of faith it's a gift of God. So, so don't be proud about your faith. Don't judge others. Don't despise others based on your faith is what he's leading up to with all of this. Be humble about it. Don't, don't think more highly of yourselves than you ought to. He said, look, we're all different in the church. We're individually members of one body. We have a lot of diversity, a lot of differences, differences of gifts, differences of talents, all these differences, but we come together in the body of Christ. And that's what's beautiful about the church. That's what's beautiful about the church. You know, for, for, for most of us in this room, we wouldn't be necessarily like 
best friends if not for Jesus. We're all very different. But it's Jesus that brings us together. And worshiping him and loving. We come together to worship him. And so Jesus is the common theme, the common foundation for all of us. He is the rock of our salvation. And so know that we have these differences, yet we come together as one body with many members. And we don't all have the same function. We serve each other. We love each other. And we use our gifts and talents to build each other up. That's where he's going in, in chapter 12. And then he tells us to let love be genuine. So he, he starts talking then about loving your neighbor as yourself. Love should be genuine. Turn away from evil. Love each other with bro brotherly affection. Outdo each other in showing honor. We talked about that. Don't be slothful in it, lazy in it. Outdo each other in love and kindness, and mercy and grace. Even to the point of loving your enemies. You may have enemies in the church. Whoa, we don't talk about that. We just kind of push that away, right? We don't want to talk about having enemies. That's not nice. It's not right. You know, we know that's not a good thing. But some of us have enemies in the church or even in our own family, right? Our own family members, we might consider our enemies. It says, love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you, even in your own family. Live in harmony with each other. Don't be proud. So he's teaching us over and over again. You know, the way, the way to glorify Jesus in our lives is through humility and love and service over and over again. Don't be proud or wise in your own sight. Verse 7, chapter 12, 17, repay no one evil for evil. So all of this is setting up for where he's getting to in chapter 14 and 15. It's all building to where we are in chapters 14 and 15. It's all coming together for that purpose. And he continues to teach us, don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Overcome evil with love. He even tells us to subject ourselves to the government. <laughs> the governing authorities, he puts that in there because he knows we're going to have trouble with that. Hey, if you resist the government, you resist the one that God has appointed. So don't resist the government. Not a popular thing to preach on these days, but that's what God's word says. Do what is right. Submit yourself to the government. Pay your taxes. Be a good citizen. And he's writing to the context is, you know, the Roman emperor. He's not talking about Biden. <laughs> he's talking about Roman emperor. Not talking about our Congress or our government. Compared to the emperors of Rome, these guys are saints, right? So submit to the government, pay your taxes, do what's right. And there he wraps up chapter 13, like, oh, no one anything except to love each other. The one who loves another has fulfilled the law. Love is the fulfillment of the law. 13, verse 10. And all of that builds to chapter 14, which we started last week. <clears throat> and in the context of the book of Romans, 
we're dealing now with some sharp divisions between the Jews and the Gentiles in the church, living together in harmony despite their deep differences and convictions. They have deep differences and convictions. Do you think it's hard to get along with some of the folks in the church here or in the church, greater church in our community? You have no idea what it felt like for the Jews and the Gentiles to come together in this context, in the biblical context. Sharp differences, gut-wrenching differences between the two groups. The point where if you read the book of Acts, you'll see, you know, Peter, they weren't even supposed to go in the house of a Gentile. God tells them, hey, I need you to go to Cornelius, you know, and you, he's, he's, go into his house. And they're like, whoa, you want me to go into a Gentile's house? I mean, it's that kind of difference. They wouldn't have even had come over for dinner together. We don't understand that. We don't. We can try to. We try to. But we don't understand that type of gut-wrenching depth of, of animosity, maybe, or just, hey, we don't associate with those folks. Hey, we don't really have that in our culture very much anymore. But that's what they're dealing with here in the church of God. And so Paul's writing to overcome that. And he's, he's teaching them. Work, you know, line by line, verse by verse here, how to overcome that. Overcome these deep differences and convictions. And so we, in the church today, we can learn from this. You know, we don't necessarily have, you know, Jewish members of the congregation where this is an issue for us, but it does apply to us today. When we have differences with other believers in the church, this is guidance on how to deal with those differences. It's guidance for us how to live together in community and harmony. And we saw last week that it's not wrong to have convictions because what was happening here is each, each group had their own different convictions, very strong convictions, and they were having real trouble working those out together. One group was judging the other. Another group was despising the other because of their different convictions. And we saw that it's not wrong to have convictions. In fact, we'll have a great diversity of convictions What's wrong, though, is when we impose our personal convictions concerning the non-essentials of the faith on others, and we begin despising them or judging them for disagreeing with those convictions or not living those convictions like we think they should. You know, all good Christian people should do this. You know, we got our list. Everybody's got their list. And if they were just good Christian people, they'd do that list. And so we have our convictions, and it's right to have our convictions. You know, all of us who believe in the Lord Jesus as the risen Lord, we have convictions. And, and we should be able to eat and fellowship together despite our differences in conviction. That's where Paul is driving to with this. We should be able to live in community and harmony. We should be able to eat at the same table with each other and enjoy each other's fellowship. Not just put up with each other. Not just tolerate each other, but we should be able to enjoy each other. That, that's how deep this runs. Like put all, put all that animosity and despising and judging away. And let love rule. And enjoy each other's fellowship. We're to love each other in our church family by welcoming with open arms our brothers and sisters who have different opinions and convictions than we do concerning 
the non-essentials of the faith. We're going to talk more about what those are in a moment. And so if this can happen between Jews and Gentiles, it can surely be possible for us. And so this is, this is where we look to to navigate this. When we're feeling that feeling in our hearts like, man, I, I just, I don't really like that person. <laughs> I don't want to fellowship with that person. I don't want to do this, that, or the other. We can look to the Lord here and, and see what it looks like to really love. And to put aside our personal desires concerning these things and live for the benefit of the other. And live and walk in love. And so we're, we're to welcome each other with open arms, not despise and not judge each other. And we learned last week we can do this because we know that we're all going to stand before the judgment seat of God. It's not our job to judge. That's God's work. So it's not our job. It's not our place. It's not our responsibility to be judging others for what we think you know, they're supposed to, how, how they're supposed to be living. That's not our job. And so often we think it's our job. We're like the, you know, the police. It's like, okay, I gotta, I'm the, the spiritual police. I've got to be the Holy Spirit for all these different people out there. And I got to judge and, and tell them how they should be living their life. And if they're not living the way I think they should be living, according to what I think the Bible says, then they're wrong and I'm right. And, you know, I got to make that all right. We don't, we might not say that with our mouths, but that's kind of going on in our heads in the way that we act. And so it's not our place. We learned that last week. That's not our job. That's not our place. Each of us will stand before our master, the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his job. And he will do it perfectly and righteously. So we don't, we don't have that. We don't have to worry about that. We can just trust the Lord's got that. I'm going to let Jesus handle that. That's between them and God. And I'm just going to live and love and serve and show humility. Because I know that God will perfectly judge all of us, even me. So, wrapped it up last time. Hey, let's not stress ourselves out thinking that's our, that's our job. We're free. So feel, feel like a burden is lifted. We're free. We are free to live and to love. And some of us, you know, we have older adult children. And we feel like, you know, we're responsible for the way they live. And I think this text speaks to us in that way as well. Hey, that's between them and God, how they're living. We are free to love. And, and when I think that way, that really helps a burden kind of lift off my, my heart. Like, I am free to love my children, my adult children, who long, no longer, like right under my thumb, they're going to do what they're going to do. And that's between them and God. I'm free to love. God will take care of them perfectly and righteously, just like he will me. So we're free to love and to welcome and to fellowship with each other, despite all of our differences of convictions. <clears throat> the Bible says, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bend to me and every tongue will declare praise to God. He's got it in everything. So we can rest in that. We can find rest for our souls in that. Now, last time I mentioned there are three main points in Romans 14 and 15. The first, which we saw last week, is to love and welcome each other in the faith. 
Don't judge and despise one another concerning different opinions. That was verses 1 through 12. Today, in verses 14 through 23 of uh, Romans chapter 14, verses 13 through 23, we're going to see... Just a real clear, specific teaching. Hey, don't put a stumbling block or cause to fall in your brother's way. Don't do things that cause them to perfectly trip up and fall. We're going to see that today in our text. And then third, chapter 15, the first seven verses, it's to strive for unity through humility for the sake of the gospel and the glory of God. And so last week, we examined point one, to love and welcome each other in the faith. Don't despise or pass judgment on each other over opinions. And we learned a few terms. He pointed out those who are weak in the faith. Now, in the context of our text in Romans, these are the Jewish people in this context. These are the ones who didn't eat meat or drink wine, and they believe that keeping certain feasts and Sabbath days, you know, not keeping those days is very dishonoring to God. Those are the Jewish people. They had very deep convictions about diet, you know, what they should eat and drink, and days, which days need to be observed for the glory of the Lord. And they do this, they have these convictions in a, in a God-exalting way, and they're not sinning by having these convictions. That's the main point that we saw last time. Those are their deep convictions. They're not sinning because they have these convictions. They're acting from a place of faith. Only that faith is weak. Is what Paul pointed out. They don't believe that this activity that they're doing, you know, keeping the days, keeping the, the, the strict diet. They don't think that, you know, in this context, these are believers in the Lord Jesus. They don't think that that's saving them. They just think that it's very important to, in their relationship with God to do those things. So they're acting from a place of faith. And we need to give people like that the benefit of the doubt. You know, the strong would judge them and say, well, hey, you know, you think you're saving yourself by works. Or you think you're better than us because you, you're doing this or that. And so they, the strong judge them and despise them because of that. But they're acting from a place of faith. So give them the benefit of the doubt that they're acting from faith and they're truly from a sincere heart trying to honor God. And they're not legalists like the church of Galatia. You know, Paul scolded the church of Galatia for their legalism because they thought, you know, the Galatians thought that, you know, they were earning favor with God through these things that they were doing. And that's not the case here in the, in the church in Rome. They see eating meat and drinking wine as unclean and dishonoring to the Lord. And their desire is to glorify and honor God. See that in verse 14. So their motives are pure but their decisions are, are really just wrong. But you don't have to go lording that over them, right? They'll come to that conclusion in God's time and in his way, perhaps. So that's the ones who are weak in the faith. Then he talks about the ones who are strong in the faith. These are the Gentiles in this context. It's the person who understands their freedom in Christ, and they seek to honor God by not worrying about what they eat, and they feel no conviction to observe the feast days or the Sabbath days like their Jewish brothers did. And so they're operating from a, a place of liberty and freedom in Christ. 
And they're living in a way because they want to honor God through their faith. Now, the strong in faith here is not a carnal person. The carnal, the carnal person indulges for the gratification of their and lust of their own flesh. They're indulging in all of these things. But it's not a carnal person. The carnal person is in no way seeking to honor God with their eating and their drinking. They just want to fill their belly. And so here, the weak and the strong are both thankful, and they're both striving for the glory of Christ. The weak and the strong are, are both radically God-centered people, and they're sincere in their relationship with Christ. The only thing they differ on is what they think is proper in the non-essentials. And that leads us to what are those things? What are the non-essentials or the doubtful things? Some of your texts say. So these are the elements of our faith upon which the gospel and our salvation does not depend. And we talked last time, there are things like what you eat and what you drink and special days like the feasts and the Sabbaths and what you wear, the clothes that you wear, or maybe where you go to school, how you're schooled. Are you homeschooled or are you public school? Are you in a charter school? Or what kind of school are you going to? How are you educating your children? The style of music and entertainment that you consume, the worship style of a church, non-essential things. Like what color is the carpet or the paint of the wall? All these things that we somehow seem to argue over, uh, but are really non-essential. They're not the big things like the doctrines uh, we, we, we say when we say the Apostles' Creed. Yeah, those, that's a good list of essentials. The virgin birth is essential. God's creating the world. That's essential. Jesus Christ being the only begotten Son of God. That's essential. I mean, those are things we can't let those things slide. But the other things like what we eat and what we drink or what days we observe, those are non-essentials. And so today in our text, we're going to see that we must never put a stumbling block or cause to fall in our brother's way, especially regarding food. Now, he's using the food as his specific example here, because food was a very divisive thing at that time in that context. Okay, so he's using food now as the very specific example. But I want us to think of this even beyond food. Because it could, it could be applied to other areas of life as well, beyond food. And so here he's talking specifically about food. So uh, in other words, we got to love our brother more than our burger. That's really what he's teaching us here. We got to love our brother more than our burger. Always remember this. Brothers always trump burgers. <laughs> brothers always trump burgers, right? So in anything, if it comes down to like, is this going to like hurt my brother or sister in Christ or you know, doing this thing that I'm about to do? Is it going to cause any of my brother or sister in Christ to have pain? Then the, the brother or sister in Christ is always primary. That's what we're getting to here. So let's look at chapter 14, verses 13 through 23. <clears throat> he says, therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. 
For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves, but whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith, for whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. And so the whole point of this, this paragraph is don't pass judgment on each other anymore. Stop judging and despising each other. And don't put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. And, and I see this like, uh, there's like literal examples of this. I have five boys. And so they're always putting stumbling blocks in the way of a brother. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's crazy. And they're all sitting up here. They're going to hate me for this. But it's funny. You know, one will walk by and the other will just stick his leg out. Bonk. Like, well, what did he do that for? Who's funny? <laughs> Like, we do that, right? It's like, we, I don't know why. It's like, I want to laugh, or I just want to see this guy fall, or it's kind of funny to watch him fall. Like, but we do stuff like that. So I see it played out like in this little microcosm in my living room. And I'm like, okay, that's what Paul's talking about here. <clears throat> and we do it in the church. And he's like, hey, stop doing stuff like that. <laughs> you may think it's funny, but you're hurting your brother. And he's using the example here of what you eat. So figuratively, like the way in this context, you know, the, the Jewish people, they're getting together, they're bringing out, the Gentiles are bringing out food that deeply offended the, the Jewish people. And by doing so, it's like a stumbling block to those people. When we do things, when we live in a way that, that hurts our brother and sister in Christ, it's like we're causing them to fall. And our motives for that are all over the map. You know, sometimes it might be just from pride, or it might be like, oh, it might be funny to watch them fall, or hey, let's see how they handle this, or, you know, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. But the Apostle Paul's like, come on, we need to, to live in community and love and, and, and enjoy each other's fellowship. So verse 13, he just comes right out to it. Hey, don't pass judgment on each other anymore. But instead, you know, <clears throat> change your whole mindset. If you're so set on judging things, here's something to judge. How not to trip each other up. That's what he's telling us. If you really like got it in your heart that you're going to be judging something, judge yourself. And judge how not to cause other people, your brother and sister in Christ, to fall. <clears throat> Turn that, that judging finger inward to your own heart. When you're tempted to judge someone else, when you're tempted to despise them for what you, how you think they should be living in the Lord or what they're doing, look in the mirror instead. 
turn that pointing finger back this way. You know, what did Jesus say? You, know, you can't take the speck out of your brother's eye when you got a plank, a log coming out of your own eye. First, go take the log out of your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to take the little speck out of your brother's eye. <clears throat> so, so don't stick your leg out there trying to trip them up anymore. Like, don't do that. Look to yourself. See what you can do to love more and be kind. It's a complete reversal. Like, take positive thought to see how to avoid making life difficult for each other. Now, this is radical thinking because we are obsessed with thinking about ourselves. I mean, that, that's our nature. Our nature is to be obsessed about thinking about ourselves or even our, you know, our immediate family, but mostly about ourselves. And what am I going to wear today? What am I going to eat today? What am I... You know, what am I going to do today? It's all self-thinking for the most part. And so this is radical 180 degrees. Other thinking. I'm going to think first of others. I'm going to consider others more important than myself. I'm going to consider the thoughts and affections of others and their emotions and how what I'm about to do or what I'm, I'm, I'm going to do is going to affect others. I'm going to think about that primarily. I mean, that, that's hard. Guys, brothers, sisters, that's hard. That, that's not how we're naturally inclined to think. We got to have the Lord's help in this. We're going to do this. So take positive thought to see how to avoid making life difficult for others. In particular, he's talking to the strong. Notice that. The strong... Who, who feel like they live in liberty in Christ. Those who are strong, the ones who weren't caught up in the specific diet or caught up in the specific days. He's really talking to the Gentiles in this context. You who are strong need to be thinking this way. It's interesting that he's calling them out specifically because they must have been the ones causing the most trouble, I guess. But he's calling, calling us out. He's calling them out. You who are strong, avoid making life hard for those who are weak. Typically, those who are strong want to make it harder for those who are weak. And we try to impose on those who are weak. And he's saying, no, don't change that thinking. Reverse that thinking. Don't make it difficult for those who are weak. The burden now is on the strong to be humble and pursue love. So those of you who are strong, humble yourself. Pursue love. Be intentional about building others up instead of tripping and causing them to fall. Look at verse 14. I know and I am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. But it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. And so he's saying here that nothing is in and of itself is unclean. What does that mean? Well, it means that, you know, the barbecue pork sandwich with the, the, the baked beans, that's not evil. Now, that sandwich on a plate is not evil. It means that, if, you know, if I put a, a pile of money, a million dollars right here in this place in the floor, that pile of money is not evil. 
an article of clothing that is hanging in a closet, no matter what it's designed or how it looks or anything like that, that article of clothing hanging in the closet in and of itself is not evil. It's what you do with these things and the motive behind your actions that is good or evil, clean or unclean. If you and your conscience consider that an item or an activity is unclean, then according to your personal conviction, it is unclean. And it would be sin for you to do it. Now, we have these personal convictions for many reasons. Some of us may have these convictions because it's the way we were brought up, what we were taught, the culture around us, maybe even our church culture. It's an activity or behavior that's been modeled by someone, maybe even our family. And our convictions, they're both private and they're public. But we must be carefully, we must be careful to discern them and cultivate them in our hearts and live them with a clean conscience. And so we're being taught, live and act on our convictions. Just be careful not to project them onto someone else because we can see it here. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing in it is unclean in and of itself, verse 14. But when you think it's unclean, then it is. And we're going to see more about that later. You know, if you act on that, even with doubting in your heart, then you're, in, you're sinning. So be careful with these convictions. Look at verse 15. If your brother is grieved by what you eat, you're no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And so we're not to destroy with our food the one for whom Jesus died. And I don't know, I don't think that we think of it in those terms. We think, well, you know, we're just going to trip them up maybe a little bit. We'll cause them to see our, our way. You know, we want them to, to do this a certain way. These are pretty strong words here. You're destroying the one for whom Christ died. If you know that something that you're doing will cause your brother pain in the faith, and you decide to do it anyway, you're not walking in love. That's not loving. Your eating is actually destroying your brother for whom Christ died. And this can be applied to many activities in our daily lives beyond just eating, beyond just the food that we eat. And so in this context in the early church, he's like saying, you know, if, if you're eating this way and you know it's causing pain and deep distress for your Jewish brothers in the church, why are you destroying with your food the, the one for whom Christ died? Christ gave his life for them. Why are you doing it? You can put aside your barbecue sandwich for that fellowship time and have some kosher food instead. Would that be so hard? Would it be so hard to just bear with that for a meal? Put away your pride. Put away trying to be right. And humble yourself and enjoy fellowship with each other it, it, it's okay you know you don't have to be right about all this stuff just enjoy each other that's basically what he's saying 
Verse 16, do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. Don't let your rightful exercise of your Christian liberty be seen as evil. Something may be considered good by you and for you, but the weaker Christian may call down a curse on it. Or it may be on you too. Oh, how dare they do that? Some of us have very deep convictions about things. When you show up and you're actively acting in a way that violates those convictions, you're causing them to stumble. You're causing them to fall in their faith. You're causing all kinds of difficulty and grief. Remember that Jesus died for them. Walk in love. Don't do those things. And then verse 17, he really gets to the heart of it. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So notice that Paul here is referencing the kingdom of God, verse 17. There's a connection here back to what we learned in chapter 5. God's kingdom isn't about keeping laws and rules about food and drink and days or any of those things. God's kingdom is about righteousness through faith, leading to fullness of peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You remember Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says this. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. And hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so what we're up against here is the rule of sin versus the rule of grace. These two powers that compete for every fiber of creation and every split second of our lives. And what Paul is emphasizing here is a matter of priorities. If Romans 5 is threatened, then whatever is posing that a threat to that must be put aside. Put it away. We must not cause our fellow brothers and sisters, fellow Christians to st stumble and suffer, possibly even to be lost totally by what we eat. Because Romans 5, 1 through 5, is the most important thing that there is. So food and drink and days and non-essentials, they don't even compare on the same scale. You're serving Messiah Jesus, the King. And if you do so with his kingdom as your top priority, you will be well-pleasing and acceptable to God. And even more so, our text says, you'll be recognized and approved by your brothers and sisters in Christ also. So just remember that, you know, in those times of, you know, disagreement or we think we might judge or despise others for their differing opinions, like, look, the kingdom of God isn't about what we eat or drink. It's not about any of those things. Let's put all that stuff aside. We'll live our own convictions. Have those between us and the Lord. And let's focus in on the love and the joy and the peace and righteousness that comes from the Holy Spirit when we live together in his kingdom. The kingdom of God's bigger than these non-essential disagreements that we have. 
So instead of focusing in on those differences in the judging and the despising, verse 19, let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It's good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. So you see, there's a prohibition. Don't do these things. And then there's the command what to do. Pursue what makes for peace and edification or mutual upbuilding. We're supposed to build each other up and to pursue what encourages others. And so think about this. What about you? What, what are you pursuing? What are you pursuing in life? Are you pursuing what makes for peace with others and builds them up? Or are you pursuing arguments and strife and fighting and disagreements and trying to be right? We desperately want to be right. That's like deep in our, in our, in our fiber. Like we want to be right about things. And we tend to listen to the talk radio that, that agrees with our opinions and that helps us formulate our arguments to be right. We tend to, to watch the news channels and that, that tends to lean toward our opinions and formulates and helps us with arguments that makes us feel right. We tend to consume all those pieces of information that lean toward our opinions and, and help us to formulate ways to be right. Building up arguments upon arguments in our minds, piling them up for that time when we're ready to confront that person who's wrong and unleash our rightness on them. We do that. We want to be right. And so we're pursuing the argument. We're pursuing how to be right so that we can let that go and let it fly at the right time. So we've got the right words to say at the right time to be right. I do it too. Like we, we do that. And in this day of social media, I mean, they know what we're reading. And so they're feeding it right back to us. So boy, we're even better at that now than we've ever been before. But, but Paul's teaching us a different way, a more excellent way called love. You know, we can be right all day long, but if we don't have love, we're just a noisy gong and a plain symbol. It's teaching us a way of love and pursuing how to build each other up, how to encourage each other. Not just try to be right and to win. It's not about being right and winning. So some key questions to ask you know, about the things that we're doing. As we go into every situation, you know, we're given a choice. And so you can ask yourself, you know, what I'm about to do, is that going to be spoken of by others as good or as evil? How are others going to perceive this? So you got to get outside of yourself now. This is not just about me. Is what I'm about to do going to tear others down or build them up? Would others consider what I'm doing loving? Am I going to hurt or bother somebody by what I'm doing? If you can't answer those questions positively, then maybe you should stop doing those things. Pursue things that build others up. And it's on those who are the strong in the faith to bear with the weaknesses of those who are weak. And then he closes out, verse 22. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever doubts... Is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. If ever does not proceed from faith, 
is sin. And so live out your personal convictions, but do so in a way that's coming from faith. And don't waver in those convictions for yourself. You see this, this is a connection back to chapter four. We are to welcome the weak, but not to have disputes about things and arguments about things. That's the beginning of chapter 14, connects back to chapter four. The word for doubt here in verse 23 is connected to the word dispute in chapter 14, verse one. And then back to chapter four, verse 20, where it said, Abraham did not waver or doubt in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, being fully convinced that God was able to do what God had promised. So Abraham had good reason in human terms to be weak and to doubt whether God could give him a child. But he believed God's promise. And all of what we've seen in chapter 14 is about the basic Christian faith, that we live out our faith in community. And Paul is connecting that with Abraham and his type of faith. And so you're either with Abraham or you're with Adam. You're either living like Abraham in unwavering trust in God's promises, or you're turning away from God and going another way like Adam did. And we see this in our actions and our behavior. So for those of you who are strong, bear with the weaknesses of the weak. Pursue edification and building others up. And the bottom line is to love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And let's love our neighbor as ourselves for the glory of our Lord Jesus.